0: The disruption the pandemic has inflicted on global supply chains is really starting to harm consumers. Prices for most items are up double digits in the past year, and product shortages are rampant these days. So how much longer is this pain for our pocketbooks likely to last? I think this will
1: drag well into 2022, maybe longer uh, as far as the automakers is concerned. I think there will be particular issues that will drag into 23.
0: Welcome to Wealthion, I'm Adam Taggart, founder of Wealthion, welcoming you back for another week of making sense of money and the markets so that you can make better informed decisions about building your wealth. The world has been watching prices rise dramatically this year across nearly all asset classes, in large part caused by the trillions of dollars in monetary and fiscal stimulus flooding into the economy, as well as the disruption of global supply chains caused by the COVID pandemic. But not only are consumers experiencing rising prices at the store, they're increasingly finding empty shelves too. On the supply side, things have become so bad that today's guest expert, Wolf Richter, has coined the term the everything shortage to describe the era we're now entering. Wolf's the founder and publisher of wolfstreet.com where he reports on and dissects the many complex entanglements, debacles, and opportunities offered by today's markets. Well, the current supply chain mess sure sounds like a complex entanglement and a debacle, so, I'm very glad you could join us today, Wolf, to shed some much needed light on exactly what's going on here. <laughs> well,
1: thanks for having me back. Yeah, this is a, we're in a crazy situation. I, I have uh, never seen anything like this. And uh, the uh, poor purchasing managers out there trying to procure things, uh, I mean, they're, they're running 100 miles an hour trying to, 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 to keep the operations uh, supplied. Um, it, it's one thing after another. I mean, so uh, some shortages, uh, there war shortages last year, are kind of resolved now. That there's new shortages coming up. The weirdest stuff is suddenly in short supply. And you're talking about consumer goods a minute ago, but it's really uh, it's it's home builders, it's big construction companies, it's uh, in a major way the automakers uh, because of the chip shortage and some other shortages. Um, it's. Uh, consumer electronics manufacturers it's it's not just in the US it's global um, and it cycles through from one item to another um, and you know it's just uh, an, a, a bizarre situation and and obviously as you pointed out you know the, uh, the, the enormous amount of stimulus cost a huge amount of demand for for durable goods that's really what we're talking about here is durable goods and uh, largely yeah you know, and and uh, uh, even though some, some ag products are now getting impacted because of you know, the fertilizer uh, prices shot up and, and then the shortages in, in terms of keeping the tractors running and, and those kinds of things. So it, it's percolating all around, but, but mostly it's durable goods. And, and the demand for durable goods in the United States has been just spiked with all the stimulus. And, and during the pandemic, uh, it was just a huge burst in demand for durable goods. It continues. Uh, and we've seen that in the retail sales, and we're gonna see it in a little while in in, uh, in consumer spending numbers. And uh, so you have this enormous amount of demand, stimulus fed demand, and, and hitting a variety of different supply constraints, transportation issues. Uh, in Asia, you still have manufacturing plants that periodically get shut down because of COVID infections. So th- these are th- this is really what's happening here. and, and the solution would be to, to, you know, to cut back on demand, bring demand back down to where it was in 2019. You know, and then these things will go away pretty quickly. But that's not happening. So what we've got is ongoing demand going crazy and supply not being able to, to keep up.
0: Okay, so I, I'm going to dig into kind of both sides of that ledger. Um, let me let me just sort of start maybe a couple of steps back, which is. What exactly caused the disruptions to the supply chain? You know, I think COVID was the trigger, but can you just provide a little bit of color? You know, was it, um, uh, it it, it seems like it wasn't a, um, well, who knows, you know, maybe it's overwhelming customer demand, but it could be that ports are backed up because for a while, you know, Uh, either ships weren't leaving uh, or now they don't have enough workers to run the ports. Um, I don't wanna put words in your mouth, but but I know it's multifactorial, but what are the biggest issues that have really snarled up the supply chains here?
1: So I think each item has its own costs and that's why it's not easy to fix. It's not just one thing you can fix. You know, each item has its own cost. So I'll take an example, it's kind of a cute example, but it's really hugely important now. and at the end of May, I ordered, I reordered my Wall Street beer mugs. And I was one of the first ones to point out that they were warm back order, I cannot get the blank mugs. And uh, and so a, a couple of months later, uh, it turns out they're not making them until sometime next year. They have prioritized, so the manufacturer, the glass manufacturer has prioritized other products rather than a beer mug because beer mug has a lot of Glass in it. It's heavy. It's two pounds of glass, and, uh, and it costs very little. So they're they're running short on glass, and they're making stuff that uh, they can make more money on that uh, uh, that, that uh, you know use less glass, such as wine glasses. So um, now, no big deal. But restaurants are now complaining that they can't restock the glassware. Uh, and restaurants in San Francisco are booming, you know, and and, and so now there there reports that they're having trouble reordering glasses, and they're going through a lot of glasses in, in restaurants, and builders um, can't get the glazing, so they can't finish the buildings because they can't put the windows in, and those high rises being built with uh, glass on the outside, and they're just they're stuck, they're not moving forward. Uh, Apartment buildings, the same thing. You know, home builders with their single-family houses have complained about that. Uh, so this is a glass shortage uh, that has nothing to do with uh, with the, uh, the chip shortage. It's completely separate. You know, it has different costs. I don't exactly know why there's a glass shortage. Uh, there's a huge demand for these products right now, I like I light like fixtures and all kinds of stuff. You know, you can't get any more ordered for months, and. Uh, uh, then you have the semiconductor shortage, which, yeah, we talked about that a little bit. It's not just one semiconductor. At first, it was these cheap old little semiconductors that, that you use for uh, door locks and, and rear view mirrors. Now it's other semiconductors. And I mean, it's it a cycle through. Um, uh, this is a completely different issue than, uh, for example, the bicycle shortage we had seen uh, uh, last year. Uh, when an explosion of demand suddenly drained the supply chain of bicycles and bicycle parts. So everything has its own issue there. You know, uh, we, let's, let's look at, at a food item, meat. Um, prices of meat uh, have doubled in, in, in some cases. Uh, so my wife works for a uh, meat exporter and they're buying meat by the container and they're shipping them to Asia and they're dealing directly with the packers. And the packers have taken off some deprioritized items from the list. They can't even buy these cuts at all. Uh, Other prices, uh, other uh, cuts, they have doubled their prices. And um, and they're making a huge amount of money, but they're using uh, these kinds of shortage issues, you know, to, to raise their prices and 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 make their production more efficient, which is that they're cutting down the number of, of cuts they're offering. And so everything is different. Now we've got the transportation issue on top of that. So all the a lot of the durable goods uh, are imported from Asia. We have this huge backlog of containers at every port in the United States. There's ships waiting outside the ports. So anytime I cannot get into a port. That's a container that cannot be unloaded, and that cannot get sent to a uh, a uh, shipper. So the, that shipper has goods on the dock, but can't ship them because they can't get a container to ship them in. So we've got a container shortage. <laughs> so it, it just cycles through. It's one thing after another, and this is why that's not going away. The container shortage we've had since last year. I've been writing about it for a long time. Yeah, and um, it they're they're so interwoven these, these shortages, and and the, and it's so multi-level and so complex that it's it's impossible to just fix one thing. So the port of LA could be open for 24 hours, seven days a week, if they finally can staff up and if they can do that, that's great. So they will get more merchandise through the port, but then will they have the trucks and railroads to be able to take the containers away? And that was the problem a little while ago, you know, the, the, uh, the major railroads stopped taking containers from LA to Chicago and some other rail yards because they were backed up in those rail yards and they couldn't absorb any more containers there. So, you know, you, if, you, if you resolve a bottleneck on one end, you're just gonna hit the next bottleneck. And it, it, it's that kind of situation now, it is a complete mess.
0: Well, so Wolf, this reminds me an awful lot of um, an exercise from my business school days. i mentioned it once or twice on this program, um, but it's designed to instill an appreciation for you in what's called the bullwhip effect, where you have this very, very overly simplified supply chain. And uh, uh, the professor sort of runs 10 different demand cycles through the supply chain, and he asks everybody to after the examples over to come up and chart what demand curve they saw and everybody's demand curves are different. And then the professor shocks the class by saying, Hey, you all had the same demand. And of course, everybody argues on who got whose curve was the right one. Uh, And then he later reveals that indeed the demand going through Uh, those 10 cycles was flat for the first five changed once and was flat for the second five, meaning it was about as simple a demand function as you could experience. And yet everybody had these wildly different curves. And and what it's designed to show you is, is, is as people are starting to forecast, that's the part where everyone's making up their own forecast in real time, you introduce variability and then you start having overages and underages and people are reacting to those. And it just, creates these bigger and bigger propagation waves of, of variation in the process. So you take that to the global supply chain, right? Which is infinitely complex. And we've had people, you know, as you said, it's multifactorial and you can completely fix one part of it. And yet, you know, there's a new uh, constraint or breakage elsewhere in the chain that that keeps it from actually working efficiently. Um, and it just seems to me like it's it's kind of the, the biggest world experiment or real-time experiment of the bullwack, uh, bullwhip effect, uh, you know, probably that we've ever witnessed. Um, and so, uh, I, I guess, and I, I want to move on to, um, you know, how long we think this is going to last and how bad we think it's going to get, but, but very quickly the the simplistic way that I'm looking at it is the, we, we had the initial coronavirus global lockdowns and demand for, for lots of things, you know, fell off a cliff very briefly. Um, but then once, um, you know, the government started uh, uh, stepping in, um, both supporting markets and then paying people stimulus directly. Um, people began, you know, there's a little bit of a wealth effect where people felt like, okay, I've got some extra money to spend here. Maybe I'm at home and I'm going to buy some stuff to fix up my house while I'm here and make it look a little nicer, you know, whatever. But we created this artificial demand wave where we were pulling demand from the future into the present with all the stimulus that was going on. And suddenly providers started running really low on inventory. Um, The problem is, is that a lot of workers uh, couldn't necessarily go back into work uh, immediately right away, because there was sort of variations in the lockdown across the the globe. So you had factories that got overwhelmed um, with orders. Um, And and now you you have um, instances where uh, factories that would love to hire people to meet demand for a long time, weren't able to because people were getting enough stimulus where people were very choosy about when they wanted to go back to work, which sort of exacerbated the whole thing. So it's all these different things going on. But is is that is that sort of the main inputs that that led to this crisis? Or are there other factors I didn't think of that you think are important to mention?
1: Yeah, I think you, you nailed it. Uh, those are the main inputs. Uh, I mean, and I didn't mention the, the, the labor shortage. I mean, this phenomenon of of having so many unemployed people and having a labor shortage, but that's a real contributor to the overall shortages because that, that impacts transportation, it impacts manufacturers, it impacts uh, the whole distribution channel. Um, you know, so it, it, uh, that's a, a, a very large contributor in, in not just in the United States, but in other places too. And, and um yeah, so I'm glad you brought that up.
0: All right, look, we're, um, before we, we get onto of the, the stuff that I just mentioned I wanna to get to, I do wanna just show a couple of charts of yours because you've been following a lot of these, these shortages very closely. Um, I'm gonna put up two charts here. Uh, the first is um, auto sales. Um, and then the next is uh, uh, inventory for vehicle and parts dealers. Um, and you can, you can basically see here that, that inventories have just been plummeting in the automotive industry, right? And um, that's been due in large part to the shortage of chips that you mentioned earlier, but it's just been insane what's going on in both the new and used car markets. And I know you've been following it really closely, Wolf. So I just wanna give you a chance to to opine on that briefly given how closely you've been following it.
1: Yeah, so uh, new and used vehicles are somewhat separate, but they're they're tied together. So uh, the used vehicle market, has an inflow of vehicles that comes from uh, rental cars and from lease turn-ins and uh, from trade-ins and, and repos and so forth. Rental cars roughly contribute close to three million vehicles a year to the used vehicle market in the United States. Normally, well, so rental cars, uh, <laughs> rental car companies, last year got in real trouble. Two of them went bankrupt, including Hertz. Uh, They stopped ordering units and they started defleeting last year because nobody was traveling and the airport business had collapsed. Uh, So they got the inventories down last year. And and so this year with the semiconductor shortage hitting automakers that cannot get new vehicles. So not enough of them. And so they have whatever inventory they have of vehicles that kept them longer and uh, so that they can satisfy their demand, so the flow from rental car companies into the used vehicle market has has completely just dis- been disturbed by by uh, by the by the rental business itself. You know how it got hit from COVID, and then it got hit by the semiconductor shortage. So the used vehicle market is short on vehicles, but not desperately short. Despite the fact that there are used vehicles out there you can buy. Uh, prices have just completely spiked. I have never seen anything like this. I mean, you're you're very likely to pay more for a one-year-old vehicle now than, than uh, you would pay for the equivalent new vehicle. And uh, with trucks, that was particularly glaring, uh, pickup trucks. I mean, it was just insane how much uh, that jumped in prices. Now used vehicles, backed off for, for a few months in pricing and with inventory coming up a little bit, and now it's, it's taking off again on the wholesale side. You know, So the prices have started to, to rise again on the wholesale side, and the charge is just completely insane. But there are used vehicles out there. that The market is not completely depleted. Now, the new vehicle market is essentially depleted. <laughs> you know, what, what's in inventory now is what nobody wants. And uh, uh, the hot, bottles that you either have to order them or, you know, dealers sell them when they come off uh, uh, a carrier. They don't sit around very long. Uh, I I just checked a big uh, Ford dealer here in the the Bay Area and, uh, you know, they have the ads and and it looks like they have stuff. And and so I I, uh, looked at a Bronco and a pickup truck and and, uh, at a car and uh, and they had it advertised, you know, so I figured, yeah, they have some vehicles on the lot. And then when you try to buy it, you have to order it. <laughs> they don't have it. You know? They advertise it, but they don't have it. They don't have anything on it. Right? And um, th- this is the issue right now. Uh, you have a uh, fairly strong demand for vehicles. because we don't really know how strong it is anymore because uh, buyers have gotten frustrated. Uh, inventories are, are, there's nothing to buy. You have to order. Um, you know, so we don't really know if, if suddenly all the inventories were up to capacity, yeah, you know, what, what sales would actually be. You know, we don't know how frustrated people have gotten. You know, maybe, uh, maybe there's not that much demand anymore. But right now, there's enough demand to absorb whatever supply comes in. And uh, dealers have jacked up their prices. Everybody in the industry is making a ton of money on, on a per vehicle basis. They may sell fewer vehicles, but they make a huge amount of gross profit per vehicle. Uh, the manufacturers have cut their incentives way down. Uh, the average transaction price for uh, new vehicles has now hit $42,000. It's the average transaction price across all, all brands. Um, it has up like 20% from two years ago. And it, it's just insane what's happening out there. And, and it's not getting better. So uh, we were supposed to get more chips in late, later this year. That's what I said earlier this year, but it's not happening. Uh, there's new uh, rotating shutdowns of assembly plants all over the place and um, you know, we uh, uh, it, it's just, yeah, you know, we, we got the industrial production numbers today uh, which included uh, uh, motor vehicle and parts production. It is way down, it plunged, that's what pulled industrial production down is, is the production of motor vehicles and parts and they're, they're down because they don't have the parts to build stuff and uh, so, you know, this, this is mostly semiconductor related. There's some other shortages of plastics and different things, but it's mostly semiconductor related. And uh, it's now all kinds of semiconductors and, and some automakers getting hit harder than others. Ford got hit really hard earlier this year. It Now is getting some semiconductors and parts. Yeah, so it, it became number one in sales in September because GM and Toyota fell off the cliff with their semiconductors. And it's, it's a gigantic struggle to keep, uh, keep the plants running
0: okay um yeah I mean so huge issues for the manufacturers themselves and of course huge issues for the customers that they service you know you mentioned that prices are up 20 you know, percent to two years you know that folks that is inflation um you know that is the kind of inflation from the 70s that we really don't want to uh, have to experience uh, if we can avoid it but it seems like you know given everything that's been going on that's that's the future we're inheriting right now um so the big question wolf obviously is, um, how transitory is it going to be, right? And of course, the Fed is still holding on to the, the you know, the transitory prediction. I think many, many people are beginning to sort of, you know, think that transitory means something different than, than the way in which the Fed's using it. Um, real quickly before I get there, and I want to actually use the semiconductor chips as an example to talk about how prolonged this this period might be. Um, I just want to dial through a couple more charts of yours. Um, these charts are showing the, Inventory to sales ratio for several industries. Um, we've got the food and beverage industry. By the way, folks, all these charts are charts that Wolf has put together. Uh, the clothing and accessory industry, general merchandise industry, uh, and then just all retails, uh, all retail uh, together. And you know, you can see in each one of these that inventory is just the inventory to sales ratio is just plunging, which basically means that you know inventory is plunging in these industries. So it's not just um, you know, the auto industry, it's really, you know, across the board. So um it is a uh it's a very widespread problem. Um now, how long is it going to last? Um, Wolf, I'd love your answer to that sort of in general, but but let's talk about the semiconductors because um, you know, people, have, this, this topic's come up in some previous videos I've, I've said, and people said, hey, you know, it's not really the shipping lanes. You don't have to worry about that. Chips are so small, you can pack a ton of them onto an airplane. So it's really not, you know, uh, the supply chain so much. Is it? Is it just manufacturing these things or just not getting the inputs they need to, to create enough chips or are the chips getting, you know, abandoned somewhere
1: along in the system? Well, the supply chain for automakers are, are really complex and uh, they they take a long time uh, to build and they're very inflexible. So when a uh, a chip is specified for a certain component, um, you can't buy a different chip. It has to be that chip, and uh, so there's no flexibility. You can't. I mean, I've just got a new server for my website, and and I. There's plenty of servers out there. I wasn't particular. I, I just bought whatever they had, <laughs> you know. And, and so on that basis, uh, you can dodge supply issues if if you uh, if if you don't care what kind of vehicle uh, you want to buy, you buy whatever they have, and you, you get something. You know, they have something to buy, but an automaker can't do that. So and it takes the the chip goes into a, a component, and the component goes into an assembly. And and they're made in different places, and the assembly gets shipped to uh, some manufacturing plant that puts it into the vehicle. So the assembly plant, and so there, there's travel amounts involved, travel times involved, uh, and then uh, you know you have the supply chains being very long. And I gave you a very simple example, but this goes far back. You know, and automakers are trying to control this. And so even if you got the chip today, you wouldn't get. The part to the assembly plant probably for a few months. Yeah, you know, this is this. I mean, so even if the original uh, component maker that that needs that chip and can't get it, even if when they get that chip, that component still doesn't show up at the assembly plant where it's needed for a while. So, I mean, that's an issue that that everybody's dealing with. Even when some of the chip issues are being resolved, uh, it takes a long time for for the parts to actually show up in the vehicle. And then there's new issues with some other chips, and uh, like we've seen Toyota struggle with that. Now in September suddenly it ran out of manufacture, uh, out of capacity to manufacture, and 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 so, you know, th- how long will this last? Well, they haven't resolved those issues yet. We're still having all kinds of chip problems, and then if they resolve all those issues, it will still take a whole bunch of months for that to, to actually bleed into the the assembly plants. So, um, and i You know, 2022 for automakers was early 2022. That's already been discarded. Uh, Earlier this year, you know, it was uh, fourth quarter, third and fourth quarter 2021. So that'll be right now. Uh, That's been discarded. Early 2022 has been discarded. Um, Now people are talking about uh, 2023. Um, You know, for all these problems to be resolved, I think you will see some issues go away, and some be stubbornly uh, recalcitrant. You know and, and but if one chip is missing on a vehicle, you can't sell the vehicle. So that's the issue. You know, you, you it doesn't really matter whether ten chips or one chip is missing. You can't sell the vehicle. The whole and the whole assembly plan has to stop, or they you know they manufacture the vehicle as best as they can and leave it unfinished on the lot. And when the parts come in, they finish it. And they're doing that. I mean, actually doing that to keep the plants open. GM just shipped 65,000 vehicles last quarter to dealers that it had assembled previously and got the parts in and then uh, shipped them to dealers. So uh, yeah, I I think this will drag well into 2022, maybe longer uh, as far as the automakers is concerned. I think there will be particular issues that will drag into 23. Um, and the story might change. I mean, that's what we're hearing right now. The story might change again, and, and uh, there, there may be bigger issues. Uh, of course, if we had a, uh, a sudden decline in, in demand, that would allow everybody to catch up. And that would, that's really what's needed. You know, we need, we need a, a steep decline in demand for long enough to, catch every, to allow everybody to catch up and to get the supply chain back in order and uh, to get the transportation networks unclogged, and, and get things disentangled, and and then the efficiency would return to the system. And right now, everything's so inefficient. <laughs> yeah, you know, everything is just incredibly inefficient. Lots of people are wasting lots of time trying to make something work, and um, and there's lots of wait times and lots of things are not working out, and and um, the inefficiency is a is a real problem right now, and and it slows everything down and. Yet it won't be resolved until we get back to a normal kind of efficiency. And that, that will be the key test. I don't think we'll see that really in 2022.
0: Okay, okay. Um, I wanna get in a moment to what you, um, w- w- with a substantial decline in demand uh, would look like and what it might be caused by. But um, beforehand, so right now we have higher prices and we have fewer unit sales uh, across a lot of industries. Um, so w- if that continues for a protracted period, what will the impact on the economy be, do you think?
1: Well, that's a problem. Uh, it's a problem for lots of reasons. And GDP too. You know, GDP includes a measure of uh, uh, price adjustment. So when you sell uh, 10,000 units, normally you get $1,000 for each unit. Now you get $1,200 for each unit. Uh, that $200 is taken out of, uh, real GDP and uh, you know, because it's inflation adjusted so if you sell more units and and you're just hiking the prices in terms of real GDP there should be no impact of course we're not really tracking it that carefully and we're kind of understating the impact of inflation on GDP so it doesn't really show up now if you what's been happening though is not only have prices been rising but they're selling they're prioritizing Higher end models. So that's not inflation. So now they're instead of building, uh, you know, a manufacturer might normally build a million vehicles a year. Now that they can't build a million because they don't get enough parts. So they built half a million, but they're building all the high end stuff. They're, they're Everything is focused on high end vehicles, high end trucks, high end SUVs. Um, Yeah, that's why the average transaction price is at $42,000 because the low end has essentially stopped selling. They're not making them, it's the high end. And uh, that does boost GDP. So, uh, and it boosts profits, and it it doesn't necessarily boost uh, labor in any way, you know, because the manufacturer, the workers in these manufacturing plants, they don't get paid anymore whether they make a high end or low end vehicle. but it it does show up as a benefit. So shifting, going upscale shows up as a benefit in in the overall GDP calculation. Um, You know, long-term you just can't, you just cannot uh, run an efficient economy and and grow it uh, by just focusing on the high end. You know, this just doesn't work. And um, yeah, right now there's a lot of stimulus that has allowed for this to happen. So people have lots of money, whether it's PPP loans or, unemployment money or or uh, stock market wealth that they've gotten, you know, so the high end is doing really well. And uh, so there's lots of demand for this, 70,000, $80,000 pickup trucks, no problem. They're selling like hotcakes, you know, but these people have made this kind of money in the stock market and they got $400,000 in PPP loans. And, you know, so they're forgivable and, and they're gonna spend this money. It, I don't know if this can be sustained. It doesn't look like it to me, but. You know, that's the situation we've got. And, you know, even with food, uh, and that's a real issue. Um, there's plenty of food in the supply chain, but it is tight. You know, the grocery store inventories are, are tight, as, as the charts are showing. Um, they're not, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not, uh, it, it worrisome level tight, but, uh, you yeah, know, there's not a lot of room there. And so, you know, prices are going to go up on food. That's a, yeah, you know, for a lot of people, that's a big issue. Um, uh, in 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 other goods, you know, some of it is discretionary. You don't you really have to buy a car right now. You can drive what you have for a couple of years. But a lot of these resets, price resets, and they're permanent. So I don't think that these new and used vehicle prices will actually come down a whole lot. You know, it looks like this is kind of permanent. And so, it, it they're pricing a lot of people out of the market and. That's a a problem for future demand. You know, what what are you going to do with people that can't afford those prices? And and, uh, and that's been an issue with the auto industry for years, and it's getting a lot worse, a lot faster now. All
0: right. I want to talk about that in in just a moment, sort of the stickiness of these prices. Um, Before I do, I'm I'm, I'm going to ask your forgiveness because I'm going to ask you a potentially uncomfortable question here. But I know it's on the minds of lots of people, which is... um, if the can, and this is sort of the core of why inflation is such a you know, uh, boogeyman for a lot of policymakers. Um, if 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 people are concerned that prices are simply going to go higher from here, should they be stocking up now? Um, and if the answer is yes, does that potentially make the situation worse? <laughs> you know, as people go and they just clear whatever shelves are still, you know, still full they empty those shelves and then it just compounds the, the issue even further. So do you have any feedback on that or any, any?
1: Yeah. So my solution, uh, <laughs> to this problem that nobody likes is uh, a bias strike and they happen, they happen occasionally and they happen during the, uh, great recession when people refused, uh, to buy certain things and prices came down a little bit. Um, a bias strike, uh, will solve a lot of these problems. And, uh, uh, stocking up hoarding <laughs> will make those problems worse as you pointed out and um you know uh personally i'm i'm going to do neither you know i'm 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 going to be reasonable and if i need something i'll buy it and if i don't need it i won't buy it i'm not stocking up uh i think it's nuts to to hoard uh stuff you know but some people like to do that um and that's fine you know but uh we some of the shortages that we have are due to hoarding. I and mean, we haven't really discussed that in, in the hoarding in the supply chain, you know, not by consumers necessarily, but by companies, you know, So uh, if you make a certain item and you need a chip for that and you had an idea that you might be running into shortages, you buy, you know, 10 times as many chips as you need so that you get through the next couple of years. And uh, that costs, uh, uh, the shortages to become a lot worse. And this has happened, you know, so you. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry to
0: interrupt you, but how, how big of a factor do you think that is to the tightness I, right now?
1: I have no idea. But uh, it I anecdotally, I hear it all over the place. You know, these little things like a home builder needs to get fastness. He normally buys, you know, uh, X uh, quantity and it gets him through a month. And so he goes to his supplier and the supplier says, uh I'm I'm out. I'm back ordered. Uh, you're on the list. I can get you these fasteners three months from now. And then instead of buying the normal quantity, the guy orders you know ten times as much. <laughs> and uh, so he's out of fasteners for three months and can't build. And then the fasteners comes in, come in, and and you know he's getting a lot more. But other people aren't getting it, and so he's not the only one that's doing that. So when you when you start running into shortages, the the, the, the reaction is exactly what you pointed out. You, know, you you're going to avoid a shortage in the future by stocking up, <laughs> and thereby making the shortage worse. And it's not just prices. You know, it it's you, you know, you're sitting on on. On items that are really badly needed by the industry elsewhere, and you, you can't use it because you're running at capacity, but your competitors can't run at all because they don't have those parts. And uh, so this is the inefficiency I was talking about a minute ago too. You know, this is a this is an issue, and uh, you know, I don't know how big it is. I don't. I have not seen any kind of numbers on it. Uh, there's a lot of anecdotal stuff. There's some investigations going on. You know, there, uh, uh or you know, inquiries, I guess I should say, and and um, you know, it it it's it's a contributing factor at all levels because it's just human nature. Once you once you get burned with something that's out that that that's your suppliers out of, the stores out of, when you get your hands on it, whether it's toilet paper or whether it's uh brake assemblies for your vehicle, you're gonna order more than than you normally do. All right. Well, well, so
0: let's Let's address the question, you know, will things get back to normal? And I'm saying normal sort of in air quotes here. Um, you know, you mentioned the word efficiency or the current inefficiency of the system right now, but, but, you know, you know, you and I for years and years have talked about um, how the global supply chain network is actually been designed to be highly efficient in a just in time manner, but it, our you know our concern was that it was highly unresilient and that it was vulnerable to what's happened here, right? Where you you, you get a cascade across the system where one issue you know multiplies and creates issues all over it. Um, do you see us going back when things subside to the same you know hyper-tooled just in time system? Or do you think that that it will change? Uh, that that people will have, you know, they'll remember the scars of this time and that manufacturers may start, you know, for example, U.S. manufacturers may start sourcing more of their parts domestically um, or that prices may stay elevated um, because companies are taking on additional inventory carrying capacity costs because they don't want to be be caught out of stock in the future.
1: Yeah, human memory is short. <laughs> so, uh, you may have some changes early on, and then you know, five years later, uh, everybody forgot about this, and a new guy comes in and you're right back to cutting costs down to the bone and, and back to the supply chain, that's, that's very uh, brutal. Um, but lessons uh, can be learned. Uh, Toyota, which was one of the, the big uh, proponents of lean inventories and adjusting time system, they got scrambled, their supply chains got scrambled in uh, March, 2011, when the big tsunami, uh, earthquake and tsunami hit Japan. And they lost their uh, supply uh, of chips and other components. And uh, their, uh, their, their plants were up and running and so they could have built cars, but they couldn't because uh, they didn't have the components. And so they learned a lesson, and they actually came up with a system where they uh, made their suppliers prioritize uh, Toyota orders, and they paid them to do that. And um, and that is especially in that got some some critical product lines that were, were that applied, including semiconductors. And so uh, this worked really well for Toyota early in the semiconductor uh, shortage period, and um, you know the. the the inventory they had to carry in the priority station uh extended to th- from three to six months usually for for the suppliers and and Toyota figured they'd be through the the problems by then and and so that worked really well and Toyota blew everybody away and uh, we said it's it it got the chips and uh it could build uh whatever it wanted to and it could sell and and uh Toyota at one point became the number one vehicle seller in the united states and and the sales boomed because nobody else uh had enough product. Well, okay, so the three to six month window uh, expired uh, this summer and then uh, Toyota supplier were off the hook and, and they no longer needed to prioritize Toyota and, and then Toyota ran out of chips as well. But uh, so the lesson is that Toyota uh, uh, reacted to a catastrophe that happened to its supply chain and it changed its strategy. And it, it didn't really talk about it. This is something that came out earlier this year. So it was something that, that, that the industry kept fairly quiet. And, and uh, it's not something that, that got spread around. Toyota is the only company apparently to do that. And uh, so other companies could do that too, but then it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> so if everybody demands prioritization from uh, the suppliers, you know, then it doesn't work. So Toyota did this at the expense of other automakers. You know. So if everybody tried to do this, it, the system wouldn't work. And uh, so you're going back to: Should we have more supply? And for how many months do we need to stock up? You know, this is, we're looking at a year now, pretty soon. And and of, of the semiconductor shortage, it started last year, you know, and it, it is late last year. And and so this is kind of what we're looking at now: Can you can you stock up enough to get you through a year of supply issues? And uh, you know, you can stock up for a while and you can make, yeah, you can produce, uh, you can diversify your production. You can bring some production back to the United States um, in theory. So that, would, that wouldn't that would cause you to, that wouldn't eliminate some of the issues, but it would eliminate the transportation issues you have with with uh, container ships. But it wouldn't, and, and maybe some issues in specific issues in Asia, but if, if you're running out of, Silicon waivers, for example, it doesn't matter where you make the chips, so um, I, I think there's going to be a lot of smart minds spending a lot of time uh, f- trying to figure out how to avoid this, and they will come up with some solutions, and after a few years, most of it will be forgotten and they'll go back to just cutting costs.
0: okay, so um, you know you're, you're optimistic in the short term, but uh, I think that kind of human nature will win out in the long term, <laughs> which is. Probably a pretty pretty, pretty good prediction, though a little sad uh, reflection on us. Um, all right, Wolf, so I, I wanna get back now as we close up here to uh, your comments that you think these price increases we've seen to date are gonna be relatively sticky. Um, I guess two questions for you. Um, one is, uh, you know, you and I haven't even talked about markets at all in this discussion, and that's what we normally talk about. So I'm gonna have to have you back on again, uh, relatively soon to talk about, you know, where you see us in the grand story of what's happening in the global economy and and the financial markets in general. But, you know, we were scratching our head several years ago at uh, how kind of the average person was getting by uh, with the macro environment situation we had then, Uh, and now fast forward past COVID, Um, we've had these double digit price increases in, I would say the vast majority of the essentials for living over the past 18 months. Um, so my question to you, Wolf is like, um, a, how are people going to be able to absorb that if these prices are going to literally stick? A lot of people I know didn't have the ability to absorb a 10 to 20% increase in their food costs, their trans transportation costs, and the cost of just sort of daily durables. Um, Uh, And and then secondly, uh, these price hikes are probably not done, right? And we've got a lot of inflation pumping into the system. Uh, You said these supply chain uh, shortages may last for the next year plus. So it could very well get worse for those people. So what do you see in terms of just the public's ability to absorb
1: this stuff before something breaks? Yeah, this is where inflation gets to be a political bitch. and you know, there, there is a lot of pain and anguish and dissatisfaction when prices go up and uh, wages go up also, but not enough. And uh, we've had, you know, fairly decent wage increases this year uh, in many sectors and, and some of them, in some uh, service low-end service industries, you know, there are been some pretty substantial wage increases. Um, but, you know, your rent goes up 15%, you know, and you get a 10%, Hey, uh, hike! You know it is. That's tough, and, and gasoline is up fifty percent, and and uh, you have to you you can't afford to live in an expensive cities, so you live outside, you commute uh, to work in a restaurant, and so you have a lot of gasoline expenses, and and so that you know gasoline goes up fifty percent, that hurts, and uh, food goes up, uh, so yeah, you know, gasoline you can't really downgrade a whole lot. You can't put you know water in your tank. Uh, you can downgrade on some of the food items or substitution, you know, this is what people do. They stop eating beef and they, you know, eat chicken or eat no meat or whatever, you know. And, and there's some strategies to do that. It hurts, it's painful, it's nasty, you know, it makes people feel bad. Um, yeah, you know, the way you can dodge a, a, a rent hike is, it, it, when it comes, when the landlord approaches you and it's 15%, you know, you have to move. Uh, that and, and downscale, you move down. Also, you know, on, on a small apartment or house, um, that's a nasty thing to do to be forced to do, and and uh, uh, so you, you get less, pay the same, and and it it's just a uh, inflation at this level is just a, a very nasty problem to have, and and um, I, I think it's going to be uh, the, the the inflation. Trends are going to be supported also, uh, in addition to all the issues we've talked about, they're going to be supported by uh, uh, yeah, wage increases uh, that are now rippling through the system. And they're going to be supported by uh, asset price increases and so forth. So I don't see them going away. And, and people that, uh, and, you know, the upper 10, 20% of the income scale and, and, and on the wealth scale they don't really fear six or seven, or 8% inflation. You know, they're very small portions of the income is spent on gasoline and food and, and probably they don't even rent. And, and uh, whereas at the lower end, you know, that's a much bigger portion where these price hikes are happening. And, and you know, this is a really, really bad situation. And, and um, you know, I think the Fed is reckless in, in not approaching this. Uh, the Fed has never given a damn about uh, the people at the in the lower half or lower 60, 70% of the income and wealth scale. So the, the Fed doesn't really care uh, about about these people. But it is reckless to just completely run over them. And uh, the Fed has still got the foot on the gas pedal. <laughs> like I said the other day, it, it's, it, it's, it's got the foot on the accelerator all the way. And it's blowing through every red light on in every intersection. And yeah, you know, it's, it's still printing money. Interest rates are still at zero percent. At uh, meanwhile, we've got a big part of the population now looking at these prices and thinking, my God, where this is gonna go, you know? And, um, I, I, you know, this is really, it's a tough situation. You know, I, uh, I think the, the Fed made a gigantic mistake in allowing this to happen. It's making a gigantic mistake and waiting for it to go away on its own. Even if the Fed finally raises the interest rates uh, next year, uh, it'll do so slowly, and inflation will just continue for a while. Monetary policy has a big lag, you know, so it will it will be years before before the the, the Fed will get this inflation under control. and And during that time, um, yeah, inflation is the loss of purchasing power of of the currency, and it also means that it's the loss of purchasing power of labor denominated in that currency. That's what's happening, you know. It's it's uh, and it you know that there should be a lot of political pressure being put on the government to get this under control and 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 I can see some of this already happening. People are unhappy about this. All right. Well, um, parting words for the viewers, Wolf.
0: Um, what would your advice be to folks that are watching this and concerned about this you know the future of of potentially years of of excessively rising inflation going forward?
1: I don't know that I have any good advice about this. I've, I went through high inflation in the 70s and 80s, and I got some advice back then. And, and <laughs> But back then, interest rates were 18%, and you could actually uh, sort of keep up with inflation. Uh, now, if you're an investor, you know, you're, you're betting on housing, you're betting on, on stocks, uh, you, you know, your bonds, you're going to get killed uh, investing in bonds. You know? uh, interest rates go up. Um, you know, your bond prices fall in and and, uh, uh, and then you have the yield, which is from the bonds that you bought previously. You know, it's getting eaten up by inflation. So uh, but the bet on infl- on housing and on uh, stocks, I think, is is looking very iffy now. And uh, because the Fed will eventually take this inflation seriously, and it will eventually rise, uh, raise interest rates, and it will bring up long-term interest rates by ending QE and unwinding part of its balance sheet, they will do that. And when that happens, these house prices can't persist, and 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 the stocks are going to look different too. So it is really tough, I think, to to recommend uh, any particular asset class. Um, you know, if you're if you're thinking that that these asset classes respond to higher interest rates that we're going to get, um, you know, uh, you know, it, it's tough. I mean, you, everybody's had a really good run for a long time, and uh, and I think the Fed acknowledges that too. You know, that everybody's made a ton of money on the assets, and there may just come a time when you have to give up part of it. And, uh, I mean, you can put it in cash and, and you know, lose money to inflation, cash or bonds, you know, treasuries or something like that. And that's reasonable. People are doing that. Or uh, you can say, well, I, I need to make more money than that. I need to have 5% yield. I'm going to get some real estate and the rental properties and, and so forth. And, you know, those are long term good bets, but the prices are very high. So your, your entry into these uh, assets now is, is at a very uh, difficult point.
0: Yeah, well, as I said earlier, Wolf, well, I'm going to have to have you back on and and us to really dig deep into the the market side of things. It's unfair to ask you these questions right here at the very end of this conversation. Um, but as you and I have said before, um, it's a completely precarious time for today's investors for exactly what you're talking about. You know, a, a lot of people are saying, oh, higher inflation, well, then, yeah, I'm going to pile into equities, I'm going to pile into real estate, those tend to do well. Um, but prices are so dang distorted right now uh you're just saying you know that 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 party may not be able to continue and you could get a lot of people who get a very nasty surprise if they push all their capital into those markets and then we have a map a large correction and we have had a number of guest experts on this program um, specifically predict that they see a sizable correction uh you know as, as quite likely in the next couple of quarters. And of course, we've got, you know, very venerated investors out there like Jeremy Grantham saying the same thing. Um, all right, well, I uh, see so you sort of nodding as I'm saying this. I'll let you I'll let you close here with any additional feedback that you want to add to, to my comments there. But uh, whether you do or you don't, for people that have watched this video, have enjoyed it and would like to learn more about you and your work,
1: where should they go? Wolfstreet.com. So that's where everything I, I write is and, it's free. There's no paywall. Um, you can use ad blockers. Works just fine. <laughs> Great. All right. Well,
0: look. Well, I'll put the uh, URL up for your website when we um, when we do the editing for this video. But anyways, well, thank you so much for joining us. Look forward to having you having you on again to dive into the market related stuff. Uh, but really appreciate you taking your time out of the day to help this audience understand in real time what's going on in this very complicated supply chain, but very important supply chain situation. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> We hope you've been enjoying this discussion with analyst Wolf Richter. As he and I mentioned, it's an incredibly treacherous time for individual investors right now. So if you'd appreciate a free, no-strings-attached portfolio review by a financial advisor who can help manage your portfolio with the risks that Wolf has highlighted here, just go to Wealtheon.com and we'll help set one up for you. And if you'd like to see more great experts like Wolf on this program, please take just two seconds to support this channel by hitting the like button and then clicking on the subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it if you haven't already. Thanks so much for doing that and thanks for watching.